Chapter 18 of Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 18 The Fight for the Treasure. It was morning before Tarzan could bring himself to a realization of the possibility of failure of his quest, and even then he would only admit that success was but delayed. He would eat and sleep, and then set forth again. The jungle was wide, but wide too were the experience and cunning of Tarzan. Taglat might travel far, but Tarzan would find him in the end, though he had to search every tree in the mighty forest. Soliloquizing thus, the ape-man followed the spore of Bera the deer, the unfortunate upon which he had decided to satisfy his hunger. For half an hour the trail led the ape-man toward the east along a well-marked game-path, when suddenly, to the stalker's astonishment, the quarry broke into sight, racing madly back along the narrow way straight toward the hunter. Tarzan, who had been following along the trail, leaped so quickly to the concealing verdure at the side that the deer was still unaware of the presence of an enemy in this direction, and while the animal was still some distance away, the ape-man swung into the lower branches of the tree which overhung the trail. There he crouched, a savage beast of prey, awaiting the coming of its victim. What had frightened the deer into so frantic a retreat, Tarzan did not know. Numa the lion, perhaps, or Sheeta the panther, but whatsoever it was mattered little to Tarzan of the apes. He was ready and willing to defend his kill against any other denizen of the jungle. If he were unable to do it by means of physical prowess, he had at his command another and a greater power, his shrewd intelligence. And so on came the running deer, straight into the jaws of death. The ape-man turned so that his back was toward the approaching animal. He poised with bent knees upon the gently swaying limb above the trail, timing with keen ears the nearing hoof-beats of frightened Bera. In a moment the victim flashed beneath the limb, and at the same instant the ape-man above sprang out and down upon its back. The weight of the man's body carried the deer to the ground. It stumbled forward once in a futile effort to rise, and then mighty muscles dragged its head far back, gave the neck a vicious wrench, and Bera was dead. Quick had been the killing, and equally quick were the ape-man's subsequent actions, for who might know what manner of killer pursued Bera, or how close at hand he might be? Scarce had the neck of the victim snapped than the carcass was hanging over one of Tarzan's broad shoulders, and an instant later the ape-man was perched once more among the lower branches of a tree above the trail, his keen gray eyes scanning the pathway down which the deer had fled. Nor was it long before the cause of Bera's fright became evident to Tarzan, for presently came the unmistakable sounds of approaching horsemen. Dragging his kill after him, the ape-man ascended to the middle terrace, and settling himself comfortably in the crotch of a tree, where he could still view the trail beneath, cut a juicy steak from the deer's loin, and burying his strong white teeth in the hot flesh, proceeded to enjoy the fruits of his prowess and his cunning. Nor did he neglect the trail beneath while he satisfied his hunger. His sharp eyes saw the muzzle of the leading horse as it came into view around a bend in the tortuous trail, and one by one they scrutinized the riders as they passed beneath him in single file. Among them came one whom Tarzan recognized, but so schooled was the ape-man in the control of his emotions 
that no slightest change of expression, much less any hysterical demonstration that might have revealed his presence, betrayed the fact of his inward excitement. Beneath him, as unconscious of his presence as were the Abyssinians before and behind him, rode Albert Werper, while the ape-man scrutinized the Belgian for some sign of the pouch which he had stolen. As the Abyssinians rode toward the south, a giant figure hovered ever upon their trail, a huge, almost naked white man, who carried the bloody carcass of a deer upon his shoulders, for Tarzan knew that he might not have another opportunity to hunt for some time if he were to follow the Belgian. To endeavor to snatch him from the midst of the armed horsemen, not even Tarzan would attempt, other than in the last extremity, for the way of the wild is the way of caution and cunning, unless they be aroused to rashness by pain or anger. So the Abyssinians and the Belgian marched southward, and Tarzan of the Apes swung silently after them through the swaying branches of the middle terrace. A two-day's march brought them to a level plain beyond which lay mountains, a plain which Tarzan remembered, and which aroused within him vague half-memories and strange longings. Out upon the plain the horsemen rode, and at a safe distance behind them crept the ape-man, taking advantage of such cover as the ground afforded. Beside a charred pile of timbers the Abyssinians halted, and Tarzan, sneaking close and concealing himself in nearby shrubbery, watched them in wonderment. He saw them digging up the earth, and he wondered if they had hidden meat there in the past and now had come for it. Then he recalled how he had buried his pretty pebbles and the suggestion that had caused him to do it. They were digging for the things the blacks had buried here. Presently he saw them uncover a dirty yellow object, and he witnessed the joy of Werper and of Abdul Murak as the grimy object was exposed to view. One by one they unearthed many similar pieces, all of the same uniform dirty yellow, until a pile of them lay upon the ground, a pile which Abdul Murak fondled and petted in an ecstasy of greed. Something stirred in the ape-man's mind as he looked long upon the golden ingots. Where had he seen such before? What were they? Why did these Tarmangani covet them so greatly? To whom did they belong? He recalled the black men who had buried them. The things must be theirs. Werper was stealing them as he had stolen Tarzan's pouch of pebbles. The ape-man's eyes blazed in anger. He would like to find the black men and lead them against these thieves. He wondered where their village might be. As all these things ran through the active mind, a party of men moved out of the forest at the edge of the plain and advanced toward the ruins of the burned bungalow. Abdul Morak, always watchful, was the first to see them, but already they were halfway across the open. He called to his men to mount and hold themselves in readiness, for in the heart of Africa who may know whether a strange host be friend or foe? Werper, swinging into his saddle, fastened his eyes upon the newcomers. Then, white and trembling, he turned toward Abdul Morak. "'It is Achmet Zek and his raiders,' he whispered. "'They are come for the gold.' It must have been at about the same instant that Achmet Zek discovered the pile of yellow ingots and realized the actuality of what he had already feared since first his eyes had alighted upon the party beside the ruins of the Englishman's bungalow. Someone had forestalled him. Another had come for the treasure ahead of him. The Arab was crazed by rage. Recently everything had gone against him. He had lost the jewels, the Belgian, and for the second time he had lost the Englishwoman. 
Now someone had come to rob him of this treasure, which he had thought as safe from disturbance here as though it never had been mined. He cared not whom the thieves might be. They would not give up the gold without a battle. Of that he was certain and with a wild whoop and command to his followers, Achmet Zek put spurs to his horse and dashed down upon the Abyssinians, and after him, waving their long guns above their heads, yelling and cursing, came his motley horde of cut-throat followers. The men of Abdul Morak met them with a volley which emptied a few saddles, and then the raiders were among them, and sword, pistol, and musket each was doing its most hideous and bloody work. Achmet Zek, spying Werper at the first charge, bore down upon the Belgian, and the latter, terrified by contemplation of the fate he deserved, turned his horse's head and dashed madly away in an effort to escape. Shouting to a lieutenant to take command, and urging him, upon pain of death, to dispatch the Abyssinians and bring the gold back to his camp, Achmet Zek set off across the plain in pursuit of the Belgian, his wicked nature unable to forego the pleasures of revenge, even at the risk of sacrificing the treasure. As the pursued and the pursuer raced madly toward the distant forest, the battle behind them raged with bloody savageness. No quarter was asked or given by either the ferocious Abyssinians or the murderous cutthroats of Achmet Zek. From the concealment of the shrubbery, Tarzan watched the sanguinary conflict which so effectually surrounded him that he found no loophole through which he might escape to follow Werper and the Arab chief. The Abyssinians were formed in a circle which included Tarzan's position, and around and into them galloped the yelling raiders, now darting away, now charging in to deliver thrusts and cuts with their curved swords. Numerically the men of Achmet Zek were superior, and slowly but surely the soldiers of Menelek were being exterminated. To Tarzan the result was immaterial. He watched with but a single purpose, to escape the ring of blood-mad fighters and be away after the Belgian and his pouch. When he had first discovered Werper upon the trail where he had slain Bara, he had thought that his eyes must be playing him false, so certain had he been that the thief had been slain and devoured by Numa, but after following the detachment for two days, with his keen eyes always upon the Belgian, he no longer doubted the identity of the man, though he was put to it to explain the identity of the mutilated corpse he had supposed was the man he sought. As he crouched in hiding among the unkept shrubbery which so short a while since had been the delight and pride of the wife he no longer recalled, an Arab and an Abyssinian wheeled their mounts close to his position as they slashed at each other with their swords. Step by step the Arab beat back his adversary until the latter's horse all but trod upon the ape-man, and then a vicious cut clove the black warrior's skull, and the corpse toppled backward almost upon Tarzan. As the Abyssinian tumbled from his saddle, the possibility of escape which was represented by the riderless horse electrified the ape-man to instant action. Before the frightened beast could gather himself for flight, a naked giant was astride his back. A strong hand had grasped his bridle-rein, and the surprised Arab discovered a new foe in the saddle of him whom he had slain. But this enemy wielded no sword, and his spear and bow remained upon his back, the Arab recovered from his first surprise, dashed in with raised sword to annihilate this presumptuous stranger. He aimed a mighty blow at the ape-man's head, a blow which swung harmlessly through thin air as Tarzan ducked from its path, and then the Arab felt the other's horse brushing his leg. A great arm shot out and encircled his waist, 
and before he could recover himself he was dragged from his saddle and forming a shield for his antagonist was borne at a mad run straight through the encircling ranks of his fellows just beyond them he was tossed aside upon the ground and the last he saw of his strange foeman the latter was galloping off across the plain in the direction of the forest at its farther edge for another hour the battle raged nor did it cease until the last of the abyssinians lay dead upon the ground or had galloped off toward the north in flight but a handful of men escaped among them abdul morak the victorious raiders collected about the pile of golden ingots which the abyssinians had uncovered and there awaited the return of their leader their exultation was slightly tempered by the glimpse they had had of the strange apparition of the naked white man galloping away upon the horse of one of their foemen and carrying a companion who was now among them expatiating upon the superhuman strength of the ape-man none of them there but was familiar with the name and fame of tarzan of the apes and the fact that they had recognized the white giant as the ferocious enemy of the wrongdoers of the jungle added to their terror for they had been assured that tarzan was dead naturally superstitious they fully believed that they had seen the disembodied spirit of the dead man and now they cast fearful glances about them in expectation of the ghost's early return to the scene of the ruin they had inflicted upon him during their recent raid upon his home and discussed in affrighted whispers the probable nature of the vengeance which the spirit would inflict upon them should he return to find them in possession of his gold as they conversed their terror grew while from the concealment of the reeds along the river below them a small party of naked black warriors watched their every move from the heights beyond the river these black men had heard the noise of the conflict and creeping warily down to the stream had forded it and advanced through the reeds until they were in a position to watch every move of the combatants for a half hour the raiders awaited achmet return their fear of the earlier return of the ghost of tarzan constantly undermining their loyalty to and fear of their chief finally one among them voiced the desires of all when he announced that he intended riding forth toward the forest in search of achmet zek instantly every man of them sprang to his mount the gold will be safe here cried one we have killed the abyssinians and there are no others to carry it away let us ride in search of achmet zek and a moment later amidst a cloud of dust the raiders were galloping madly across the plain and out from the concealment of the reeds along the river crept a party of black warriors toward the spot where the golden ingots of opar lay piled on the ground werper had still been in advance of achmet zek when he reached the forest but the latter better mounted was gaining upon him riding with the reckless courage of desperation the belgian urged his mount to greater speed even within the narrow confines of the winding game trail that the beast was following behind him he could hear the voice of achmet zek crying to him to halt but werper only dug the spurs deeper into the bleeding sides of his panting mount two hundred yards within the forest a broken branch lay across the trail it was a small thing that a horse might ordinarily take in his natural stride without noticing its presence but werper's horse was jaded his feet were heavy with weariness and as the branch caught between his front legs he stumbled was unable to recover himself and went down sprawling in the trail werper going over his head rolled a few yards farther on scrambled to his feet and ran back seizing the reins he tugged to drag the beast to his feet 
but the animal would not or could not rise, and as the Belgian cursed and struck at him, Achmet Zek appeared in view. Instantly the Belgian ceased his efforts with the dying animal at his feet, and seizing his rifle, dropped behind the horse and fired at the oncoming Arab. His bullet, going low, struck Achmet Zek's horse in the breast, bringing him down a hundred yards from where Werper lay preparing to fire a second shot. The Arab who had gone down with his mount was standing astride him, and seeing the Belgian's strategic position behind his fallen horse, lost no time in taking up a similar one behind his own and there the two lay, alternately firing at and cursing each other, while from behind the Arab Tarzan of the Apes approached to the edge of the forest. Here he heard the occasional shots of the duelists, and choosing the safer and swifter avenue of the forest branches to the uncertain transportation afforded by a half-broken Abyssinian pony, took to the trees. Keeping to one side of the trail, the ape-man came presently to a point where he could look down in comparative safety upon the fighters, First one and then the other would partially raise himself above his breastwork of horseflesh, fire his weapon, and immediately drop flat behind his shelter, where he would reload and repeat the act a moment later. Werper had but little ammunition, having been hastily armed by Abdul Morak from the body of one of the first of the Abyssinians who had fallen in the fight about the pile of ingots, and now he realized that soon he would have used his last bullet and be at the mercy of the Arab a mercy with which he was well acquainted. Facing both death and despoilment of his treasure, the Belgian cast about for some plan of escape, and the only one that appealed to him, as containing even a remote possibility of success, hinged upon the chance of bribing Achmet Zek. Werper had fired all but a single cartridge, when during a lull in the fighting he called aloud to his opponent. "'Achmet Zek!' he cried. Allah alone knows which one of us may leave our bones to rot where he lies upon this trail today if we keep up our foolish battle. You wish the contents of the pouch I wear about my waist, and I wish my life and my liberty even more than I do the jewels. Let us each, then, take that which he most desires, and go our separate ways in peace. I will lay the pouch upon the carcass of my horse, where you may see it, and you in turn will lay your gun upon your horse with butt toward me. Then I will go away, leaving the pouch to you, and you will let me go in safety. I want only my life and my freedom. The Arab thought in silence for a moment. Then he spoke. His reply was influenced by the fact that he had expended his last shot. Go your way, then, he growled leaving the pouch in plain sight behind you. See, I lay my gun thus, with the butt toward you. Go! Werper removed the pouch from about his waist. Sorrowfully and affectionately he let his fingers press the hard outlines of the contents. Ah, if he could extract a little handful of the precious stones! But Achmet Zek was standing now, his eagle eyes commanding a plain view of the Belgian and his every act. Regretfully, Werper laid the pouch, its contents undisturbed, upon the body of his horse, rose, and taking his rifle with him, backed slowly down the trail, until a turn hid him from the view of the watchful Arab. Even then Achmet Zek did not advance, fearful as he was of some such treachery as he himself might have been guilty of under like circumstances. Nor were his suspicions groundless, for the Belgian, no sooner had he passed out of the range of the Arab's vision, halted behind the bole of a tree, where he still commanded an unobstructed view of his dead horse and the pouch, 
and raising his rifle covered the spot where the other's body must appear when he came forward to seize the treasure. But Achmet Zek was no fool to expose himself to the blackened honor of a thief and a murderer. Taking his long gun with him, he left the trail, entering the rank and tangled vegetation which walled it, and crawling slowly forward on hands and knees, he paralleled the trail, but never for an instant was his body exposed to the rifle of the hidden assassin. Thus Achmet Zek advanced until he had come opposite the dead horse of his enemy. The pouch lay there in full view, while a short distance along the trail Werper waited in growing impatience and nervousness, wondering why the Arab did not come to claim his reward. Presently he saw the muzzle of a rifle appear suddenly and mysteriously a few inches above the pouch, and before he could realize the cunning trick that the Arab had played upon him, the sight of the weapon was adroitly hooked into the rawhide thong which formed the carrying strap of the pouch, and the latter was drawn quickly from his view into the dense foliage at the trail's side. Not for an instant had the raider exposed a square inch of his body, and Werper dared not fire his one remaining shot unless every chance of a successful hit was in his favor. Chuckling to himself, Achmet Zek withdrew a few paces farther into the jungle, for he was as positive that Werper was waiting nearby for a chance to pot him as though his eyes had penetrated the jungle trees to the figure of the hiding Belgian, fingering his rifle behind the bowl of the buttressed giant. Werper did not dare advance, his cupidity would not permit him to depart, and so he stood there, his rifle ready in his hands, his eyes watching the trail before him with cat-like intensity. But there was another who had seen the pouch and recognized it, who did advance with Achmet Zek, hovering above him as silent and as sure as death itself, and as the Arab, finding a little spot less overgrown with bushes than he had yet encountered, prepared to gloat his eyes upon the contents of the pouch, Tarzan paused directly above him, intent upon the same object. Wetting his thin lips with his tongue, Achmet Zek loosened the tie-strings which closed the mouth of the pouch, and cupping one claw-like hand poured forth a portion of the contents into his palm. A single look he took at the stones lying in his hand. His eyes narrowed, a curse broke from his lips, and he hurled the small objects upon the ground disdainfully. Quickly he emptied the balance of the contents until he had scanned each separate stone, and as he dumped them all upon the ground and stamped upon them, his rage grew until the muscles of his face worked in demon-like fury, and his fingers clenched until his nails bit into the flesh. Above, Tarzan watched in wonderment. He had been curious to discover what all the pow-wow about his pouch had meant. He wanted to see what the Arab would do after the other had gone away, leaving the pouch behind him, and having satisfied his curiosity, he would then have pounced upon Achmet Zek and taken the pouch and his pretty pebbles away from him, for did they not belong to Tarzan? He saw the Arab now throw aside the empty pouch, and grasping his long gun by the barrel, club-like, sneak stealthily through the jungle beside the trail along which Werper had gone. As the man disappeared from his view, Tarzan dropped to the ground and commenced gathering up the spilled contents of the pouch, and the moment that he obtained his first near view of the scattered pebbles, he understood the rage of the Arab, for instead of the glittering and scintillating gems which had first caught and held the attention of the ape-man, the pouch now contained but a collection of ordinary river pebbles. End of chapter 18